Good morning. My name is Randy Leander, and my wife Elaine and I have had the privilege of worshiping here for the past 30 years, and it's my privilege to pray for us this morning. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we just thank you, Lord, for this time this morning to worship you in song, to praise you, to lift you high and lift it up, Lord. We pray that in our singing, you have been honored and glorified, Lord. We pray for the service this morning, that even through prayer, that uh, we would know that you are here with us today. Thank you for the series on praying, what it is, how to do it, what to expect. Lord, we have so many things to learn. And yet, Father, you want us to come to you. You want us to just pray and talk with you as communication and connectivity, Lord, because prayer is really an indication of our relationship with you, our walk with you, Lord. It takes time, and we thank you that we have the privilege, Lord, of coming before you. Lord, because of what you have done, the veil has been torn from top to bottom, and we now can approach you. We have access to you because of what you have done for us. And we thank you for that this morning, Lord. We pray, Father, that you would be adored, that not only in this service, but when we go into this week, that we would pray constantly, as you tell us to do. We would lift up our concerns. We would lift up our anxieties. We would lift up our fears, Lord. You tell us not to be anxious in anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication to let our requests be made known unto you. And, Lord, that your peace which passes all understanding and will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Father, thank you for, again, this opportunity. Thank you, Father, that we can have faith in you, that you let us know who you are uh, through your word, through creation, and through your Holy Spirit that dwells within us for those who have committed their lives to you. So, Lord, we ask that you would take all of our gifts, all of our hearts, desires, and passions, our abilities, our personalities, our experiences, Lord, and use them together in this body to honor you. Again, Lord, we thank you for the privilege we have of just bowing our heads and knowing that your presence is here with us, Lord. We give you thanks for that. Let us not take it for granted, Lord. Thank you for the faithful who have gone before us. We now commit this time to you. Please bless Chris as he brings us more on prayer from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, brother. You can be seated. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good to, good to see you. Uh, for those of you watching online, grateful to be with you. Hopefully someplace warm today that we're joining you. We wish we were with you, uh, but we're glad that you're with us. And I want to thank uh, Randy for that, that um, simple and amazing uh, prayer. Uh, I've gotten to know Randy over the last five years and Elaine uh, and the Leander family and so grateful for them and their friendship and partnership here at New City. And Randy also serves as one of our elders. And so it's just grateful to be able to serve uh, the church with him and grateful for you um, and your love and uh, love you a lot. Uh, Albert Einstein was asked in 1952 uh, by a Princeton doctoral student what he should write his research dissertation on. And he asked Einstein specifically, what is left to be written about? And Einstein's answer was amazing. He said, prayer. Find out about prayer. And that's what we're doing together in this series. Let us pray. We're talking about prayer. What, what is it? It ranks for most people as highly important, prayer does, and highly frustrating. 
And so we want to talk about that because prayer is a gift that God's given to us. And prayer is actually about relationship. It's a, a conversation, a sacred conversation between us and God and between God and each of us. Now, it's been two weeks since I preached, so I want to give you a warning that I've got a lot that I want to share this morning as we uh, continue our series on prayer. We're going to go all the way through the month of July uh, with prayer, so there's plenty more to come. But I want to jump right in and talk a little bit about what is prayer, just by way of recap. And I want to thank uh, Pastor Nick and Rodney for uh, leading us in this series and all that they've shared so far. And if you've missed the last two weeks as we started the series on prayer, go back and listen online. And one of the things they talked about is just a simple definition as we start this series of what is prayer? What is prayer? So if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to maybe jot a few notes down here. Prayer uh, at its base level, definition is relationship. That's what prayer is. It's not so much of a transactional conversation as it is a, a sacred relationship between us and the Father. And it's a gift. We know that reading the scriptures that prayer is actually a gift that God gave to us to commune and to fellowship with him. And so prayer is, a, uh, is about relationship. It's a, it's a sacred conversation between us and God. I love what David Paulson says. He says, and answer the question, what is prayer? He says, prayer is meant to be the conversation where your life meets your God. So prayer is this intersection between uh, the heart of God and, and your heart. In fact, Philip Yancey, and if you're looking to do something to go along with the series, um, to go further in prayer, I want to recommend Philip Yancey's book. I don't know if you've ever read anything by Yancey, um, but he writes a book on prayer. And, and actually, the, prayer, the, the title of the book is, is provocative. It says, prayer, what, what, what does it matter? You know, wh wh why should we pray? And so I want to encourage you, if you want to go further in your study of prayer this summer, to pick up Yancey's book. But when he gives a definition of prayer, uh, Philip Yancey says this. He says, prayer is really about two things. And again, if you're taking notes, um, maybe write this down. Prayer is about inviting myself into the life of God. And it's also about inviting God's life and heart into my life. So it's, it's this intersection between inviting myself into the life of God and inviting God into my life. And in that way, I love that simple definition uh, by Yancey, that intersection uh, that is prayer of, of inviting God into my life and inviting myself into the life of God. It really is about answering these two basic fundamental questions that, that I really believe that everybody is asking consciously or subconsciously from the moment they're born till the time that they die. And that is, who is God? Uh, finding out about God and the, the heart of God and inviting myself into the life of God. Who is God? And by the way, A.W. Tozer, who was a, a great theologian, uh, to Tozer said, uh, if you, the most important thing about your life, there's a lot of important things, but he said the most important thing about your life is the first thought that you think of when you think about God. Tozer said that's the most important thing in the world is the first thought you think of when you think about God. So let's just stop for a second. What is the first thought that you think of, not your neighbor, not, not anybody else around you, what is the first thought about that you think about when you think about God? And Tozer says whatever just flashed into your mind is the most important thing in your life. Because he says how we think about God is how we think about ourselves, which is the second question. If the first question that everybody's asking is who is God, the second question is 
who am I? What did God mean when he meant me? If I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, if God knitted me together in my mother's womb, if he intended my life, what did God mean when he meant me? Who am I? And so Tozer says, how we see God and answer that question, who is God, informs who we are. And then how we see ourselves informs how we see other people. You see how important this is? You see, theology, the study of God, used to be the queen of all the sciences. The word science means knowledge. And so theology, this understanding, this knowledge of God was the the queen of all the sciences because everything flowed out of our understanding and knowledge of God and we've lost that. But Tozer says, the most important thought you can think of, the most important understanding of your life, we have so many, so many bright and smart and intelligent people in the room this morning. I can see it. I know you are. Business people and people in government and industry and architects and, and doctors and teachers and all kinds of things that you've studied. And Tozer says, that's all important. But the most important thing is your study and your knowledge of God. Because when you understand God, you understand who you are. And when you understand who you are, then you understand who other people are and you can love them in the same way that you've been loved and you've been known. I love what C.S. Lewis says about this when he talks about prayer. He says, in prayer, we must lay before him, that is God, what is in us, not what ought to be in us. So in other words, that second thing about, you know, the first is I'm inviting myself into the life of God and then I'm inviting God into my life. And that can be scary, right? Like into every area of your life, not just a certain part of the house of your your heart. You're, you're, You're inviting him to every room, even the ones that say do not enter. And prayer has a way of just opening all those doors and inviting Jesus into every part of my life. And that's what Lewis says is that it's through prayer that I lay before God wh- who I am, not, not who, who I think I am or, or what I think I have to, uh, have to be or what I think I have to do, but I'm actually honest. Do you hear that? Prayer makes me honest before God. It makes me vulnerable before God. And that's exactly why it's the gift that God gave to us. Now, uh, last week we talked about the Lord's Prayer. Again, if you missed it, go back and, and, and listen to it. I actually think that, you know, we've learned the Lord's Prayer. It actually should be the disciples' prayer. It's the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Uh, it's a model for us of, of framing up our, our prayer life. And so, again, go back, go back and listen to that. But this is what's interesting to me as we start here by thinking about what is prayer. Luke, in his gospel, four four gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, The first three, Matthew, Mark, Luke, are what's known as the synoptic gospel. So um, uh, in the Greek, syn, S-Y-N, one, uh, optic, I, so synoptic, with one eye seeing. So the first three gospels are synoptics, meaning they, they see things similarly, and then John stands alone and writes in a different way. Same story, but writes with a different eye. Luke, who was a physician, who also wrote the book of Acts, and together Luke wrote more words in the New Testament than anyone else. Paul wrote more books. Luke wrote more words because if you take the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, they're meant to be one together. And Luke writes an account of the gospel, the story of Jesus, but also the story of the early church. And in his gospel account, he frames up, you know, the the preaching, the teaching, the healing of Jesus. Jesus had a threefold ministry. You'll remember those, those three things. He was a preacher, he was a teacher, he was a healer. 
And in one of the stories that Luke uh, recounts to us, and, and specifically to prayer, he talks about visiting some of his friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Do you remember them? And they lived in a little village outside of Jerusalem called Bethany. And so Jesus goes to visit uh, Mary and Martha. And Martha makes uh, a big meal. Uh, How many of you grew up in families where when you came home or someone came home, it was, you know, you got around the table and it was mealtime. You loved it, right? Because someone was going to make all the favorite dishes and you were going to work together and you were going to have a feast together. Well, this is what happens. And Martha begins to prepare this big meal and there's a lot to be done. Jesus is coming. And when Luke tells the story, he says, Mary, when Jesus uh, comes into the village and they visit together, just sits at Jesus' feet and listens to him. And do you remember, how, do you remember this story? What's Martha's response to her sister Mary uh, sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him and, and basically inviting herself into his life and, and his heart and, and his life into, into her life? What's Martha's response? Good job, Mary. That's awesome. So glad for you. Let me take care of this. Is that her heart? No, what, is he, what does she say? Hey, Jesus, like, can, can, you, can you get a little help here? Like, can you tell my sister, like, to come in and help me? And this is what Jesus says. This is in Luke chapter 10, if you want to follow along, go back and read it later this week. Uh, when we get to verse th- uh, 41, we see Jesus' response to Martha and saying, hey, you know, can you tell Mary to come? And she doesn't need to be sitting with you. She needs to be helping work with me. And, and Jesus says to her, my dear Martha, And maybe just put your name there. My dear Chris, you are worried and upset over all these details. Let me just stop there for a second. Because so many of us, right? I'll lead the parade on this. Are so worried and upset over so many different things and so many different details. And here's the truth. The truth is that in this broken world, there's a lot of things to be upset and worried about legitimate things to be upset and worried and concerned about, absolutely. But Jesus says these words, and he's saying them to to Martha, but I think he's saying them to each of us. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. This is an interesting thought in prayer, that prayer helps to reorient us to these words of Christ. That really prayer brings us back to the one thing. And, and what is the, the one thing? We'll talk about that in just a second. You're going to get a hint here. He says, Mary has discovered it, the one thing, and it will not be taken from her. So what was Mary doing? What's the one thing? She's sitting with Jesus. She's inviting herself into the life of Jesus, and she's inviting the words and the life of Jesus into her life. And Jesus says that's not going to be taken from her because she's discovered the one thing. Here's the deal, guys, okay? If you don't take anything else away from this message, I hope you take this. That Jesus is enough and there's something better. And that it's through Jesus that we discover that he is enough. And you've heard me say this before, but I'm gonna say it again over and over and over again. If Jesus isn't enough, nothing or no one ever will be. And Jesus knew that, of course. And he says, Martha, Martha, Martha. And I love this, my dear Martha, I love you. I love you. I love you enough to tell you the truth. You're concerned about so many things. And here's the deal, guys. We, and I, I know for me, are concerned about so many things. It's amazing how many worries and anxieties go through my head and heart in just a minute and thinking about different things. And we're processing so many different concerns and anxieties from other people as well. We're more connected now than we ever have been. And Jesus says, but it's really one thing. It's really one thing. Remember what the Apostle Paul said? He said, "Um, this, this 
one thing. This one thing I do. This one thing I do. And what does he say? I forget the past and I press on to take hold of that which took hold of me. And who is he talking about? Jesus. The one thing I do is I just, I forget everything that's happened and I make the one thing Jesus because it's something better. And here's the deal. You, what does this have to do with prayer? Well, right after this narrative in Luke chapter 10, uh, in a different place, the disciples see Jesus praying as he often did. And they say those amazing words when they see Jesus praying, they say, teach us, Luke chapter 11, verse one, teach us to pray. Teach us to do what you're doing, Jesus. I love that, by the way. Jesus waited for them to ask. They watched him pray to the Father. He modeled for them what it meant like, what it meant to, to invite his life into the life of the Father and to invite the Father's will and life into his life. And then they said, we wanna do that. We wanna do that. You've heard me say before, if you wanna know how to pray, listen to other people who know how to pray. And one of the ways you can do that is praying God's word. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. But listen to other people's prayer. Watch people as they pray. The disciples watch Jesus pray all the time. And then finally in Luke 11, after this narrative with Jesus teaching Martha about the one thing that really matters, the disciples say, we gotta have that. You gotta teach us how to pray. And he does. So let's talk a little bit about with the balance of our time how God answers prayer. You ever wondered that? How does God answer prayer? All right, now here's the thing. For every single prayer that's been prayed, there's a different way that God answers. And so there's literally billions upon billions of ways that God has answered prayer for different people and in different prayers that have been prayed across time and across the world. So we're not gonna cover all those today, okay? You're welcome. But I wanna talk about the three kind of general categories in which God does answer prayer. And I'm gonna pull it straight from the scriptures. I'm not making any of this up of how we've seen God answer prayer. The writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. His character never changes. So what can we observe about how God answers prayer? And I know for some of you uh, walking in the room, watching online today, you, you've been praying a prayer uh, that you feel like hasn't been answered. Uh, may, maybe you're curious about prayer and you're wondering, should I pray about this thing that's really bothering me? But you wonder, well, how's God going to answer? How does God actually answer this sacred conversation that I, that I have with him, inviting myself into his life and inviting his life into, into mine? And so I want to talk about how God answers prayer, okay? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just tell you right up front the three ways that God answers prayer, just, just straight from the scriptures. The first way God answers prayer, and you're going to like this one, is yes. God does say yes. The second way that God answers prayer, you may not like this one as much, no. And the third way that God answers prayer wait. Now you'll notice I didn't say maybe. God never says maybe. Yes, no, wait. Let's talk about all three. God answers prayer by saying yes. Let me take you to 1 John 5 verses 13 through 15. This is the apostle John who writes later on to the church and he says this, I've written this to you who believe, the church, those who follow Jesus, 
who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you, uh, and whenever you see so that, you should circle it because he's getting ready to answer why I'm writing this, so that you may know you have eternal life. You're not guessing. You ever heard someone say, I hope I go to heaven? Yeah, I, I hope when I get to the pearly gates, you know, that St. Peter uh, just, you know, looks at me and says, you, you, you tried. And, 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 and hopefully it was, it's 51 to 49 and I squeeze my, my, my way in. There's nothing that breaks my heart more as a pastor than to hear that. John says, you can know. You can know that you're going to heaven. Hey, let, let me just let you in on a, a, little, a little, not really a secret, but just something to understand about God. That good, good, good people good people don't go to heaven. You're like, well, then who goes to heaven? Forgiven people do. We're made righteous only because of the righteousness of Christ. Forgiven people, those who know the grace and the love of God are those that come into the presence of God. And guys, we live in a world right now that is so awash in relativism that, that we're gonna talk about this in the fall, by the way. We're gonna, we're gonna do a study on the book of Judges. And, 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 and we live in a world that says you can't know anything. And certainly because you can't know anything. Remember Tozer? Tozer said the most important thing you can know and understand is your knowledge of God. The first thought you think of when you think about God and I think it's probably fair to say our culture right now says uh, the first, the most important thing about your life is what you feel about yourself. And then everything else flows from there. And so I, I begin to create a God into my image, which by the way is the, the inverse of how I was made. I was created in the image of God. The creation narrative tells me that. And in my brokenness, I want to be God. And, and what did God do? When we first begin to read about him in Genesis 1 and 2, he creates. And so we want to create other people in our image and create a world that reflects us. Where was I here? <laughs> yes. God answers prayer. Yes. All right, he says, I've written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that, circle that, you may know, that's where I was, that you have eternal life. The gift of knowing that you belong to Jesus. The gift of knowing where you're going eternally. What a gift that is. And then look at, look at the word here that he uses. And we are confident, not proud, we're confident, not in ourselves, but in Jesus, that he what? Oh, that he hears us. What is prayer? It's a sacred conversation. We're confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. Underline that, circle it, highlight it. 1 John 5, 14. And since we know he hears us, by the way, does God hear your prayers? Every one of them. God, do you hear me? John says, yes. Does God hear prayer? Every single one of them. Since we know he hears us, when we make requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. Circle that, verse 15, and go back to verse 14. When we pray according to what? Look at verse 14. Anything that what? 
Is anybody awake this morning? Anything that pleases him. When I pray according to his will. You say, Chris, you know, you talked about praying God's word. Well, why do we pray God's word? If you're struggling with prayer, which many people do, and I have too. If you struggle with prayer, open up God's word. Pray God's word. Uh, I use a little um, book by Beth Moore called Praying God's Word. And literally, it's just scripture. And, and it's, just, it's, just, it's just categorized and just praying the Bible. Why, why do I do that? Because I know it's true. And it, and it begins to orient my prayers a, according to what I know is true and according to God's will in his heart. Which again is me inviting myself into the life of God. What is prayer? It's inviting God into my life and it's inviting myself into the life of God. Does that make sense? And so God always wants to say yes when it's according to his will. And so we pray that way, according to your will, Jesus, making my requests known to you because he hears our prayers and he does say yes and praise God for that. But God also says no and praise God for that. I just wanna ask you a question. I want you to think about all the prayers, if you, can, if you can pull up, probably not all of them, but some of the prayers that you've prayed in your life that you would sit here today and go, thank you, Jesus, that you did not say yes to that prayer. Because I'd be living in this place and I'd be with this person and I'd be doing this. All these things that, that I just thought, that I just knew that I knew that I knew that I had to have. And I asked God and God said, a blessed no. No. Here's the deal, guys. When God says no, it's, listen to this. When God says no, it's always because there's something better. And I just want to say to some of you right now that are praying a prayer, you're begging God to answer and it just doesn't feel like God's answering, that there's something better. In God's sovereignty, in God's plan, there's something better. You know, life is like a parade, right? We're on one float, but God sees the whole parade from start to finish, all of history. And prayer is an exercise in this sacred conversation of, of trusting him for something better. Love sometimes withholds for our benefit. It's like with your children, with your grandchildren, with your nieces and nephews and, and kids in your life and they're, they're asking for more and more and more and more candy and you say, you gotta stop because if you keep eating that, you're gonna be sick. It's not gonna be good for you. Love withholds, love gives boundaries and sometimes God's greatest gifts are no, the answer no to our prayers. A lot of times it's when we pray not according to God's will that God says no. Let's go back to the first thing, 1 John 5. God wants to say yes when it pleases him and it's according to his will. So we can inference that a lot of times the no's that God gives to us is because there is something better according to his will. And we need not look further than Jesus. Remember Gethsemane? Jesus in the garden. And he says, Father, He's, he's praying to where the capillaries in his, in his head are bursting and he's sweating drops of blood. That's the anxiety and stress that he was feeling as he was facing the cross. And do you remember Jesus' prayer, his simple prayer? Father, if there's any other way, 
would you let this cup pass from me? But the prayer didn't stop there, did it? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, for most of us, the prayer in Gethsemane, that simple prayer that Jesus modeled for us, let this cup pass from me. I'm telling you what I'm asking for, God. I'm making my request known to you, but I'm submitting myself once again to what pleases you and your will. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And C.S. Lewis says, for most of us, the prayer in Gethsemane is the only model. Removing mountains can wait. In other words, it's the prayer of constantly inviting myself and my life into the life of God, into his will and what pleases him. Let let me just read a passage and and I'll move forward from James chapter four and go back and maybe read and meditate on this one this week as we think about sometimes God saying a sacred no to to our prayers. James chapter four, verses one through three. Just, just listen to these words. And I want you to think about your life and then just think about life right now and the journey of life in this world right now. James says, what is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? What a question. Well, he's gonna answer, it's not rhetorical. Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? In other words, we look at everything right now and we go, oh, this person, that person, this, that, that. And and James says, it came from within. All of this starts from the brokenness that comes from within, our selfishness and our evil and our open rebellion against God. He says, all this comes from the evil desires at war within you. And then verse two, "You, you want what you don't have. So you scheme and you kill to get it. And then you're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Some things don't change. And then he says, verse three, and think about this with God saying no to our prayers sometimes. He says, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, even when you pray and you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Back to what's the most important thought in life according to our culture right now? What I feel. So whatever makes me happy and brings me pleasure is what I begin to orient all of life to. And you can see where that goes. And James says, this is the cause of this. It comes from within our selfish desires that we have to continue modeling after Jesus. Nevertheless, Father, not my will, but yours be done. What pleases you, Father? Wow. So God answers our prayers, yes, 1 John 5. God answers our prayers, no, James 4. And there's one more, God answers, wait. Wait. And a great, a great singer, theologian, said waiting is the hardest part. And sometimes it is, isn't it? Uh, oftentimes we'd rather hear a yes or, a, or even a no. But we don't want to hear, especially in our world right now, we don't want to hear wait. Oftentimes God has answered our prayers. And, and by the way, I was reading this week, someone said, God answers yes a lot more than we realize, but we don't see it or we're not willing to wait for it. 
And sometimes the answer is, yes, but wait. It's not yet time. And, and in God's orientation and in his heart and his economy, waiting time is never, everyone listen to this, waiting time is never wasted time. In God's sovereign hands, and we believe that everything in our life is sifted through the sovereign hands of God. And in God's sovereign hands, waiting time is never wasted time. A prayer that's answered out of God's timing is not according to his will. It might be that God's saying, yes, but you gotta wait. There's a process. You're not, you know what? Sometimes we're not ready to receive the yes yet. That God has to prepare us in our hearts And before he gives us something that we want, he's got to make us more into his image to be able to handle that and steward that and receive it. I want to take you really quickly to John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, John records the feeding of the 5,000. Now, this is my favorite miracle narrative in the Bible, the feeding of the 5,000. And it's the only miracle that Jesus performs that's recorded in all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in John chapter six, John records the feeding of the 5,000, the, the 5, uh, which was really more about 20, like 20,000. But Jesus and his disciples cross over the Sea of Galilee uh, to Tiberias and people follow them. He's doing miracles. He goes up on a hill. Uh, remember, there was a, a kid that had five loaves and two fish and they, Jesus uh, uh, thanks God for it. He, he, he blesses it. He, he breaks it and he gives it away, which is exactly what he does to us. He gives thanks He blesses us and then he breaks us and he gives us away. And so we're seeing this this ministry happen. And then, this is what I want to share really quickly as we we think about waiting and God's timing. Is uh, they, they, they say, hey, this is the prophet. This is the one we've been waiting for, the Messiah. And so they want to make him king. And this is in John chapter six. And so uh, Jesus knows that they want to make him king and force him to be king. And Jesus is already king, by the way. And when he comes back the second time, he will inaugurate his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. But it wasn't his timing. And so Jesus slips away by himself so that they can't make him king. Think about that in our world right now, right? Someone saying no to power. Someone saying no, no, it's not time. It's not my time for that. And Jesus slips away. And the disciples finish up and they go down on the shore and they're ready to get back to Capernaum. They're ready to get back to headquarters. And so they wait for Jesus in verse 16. You can follow along and read it in your scriptures, John chapter six. And in verse 16, they're waiting by the shore for Jesus. There's our word wait. They're waiting for Jesus. And it says that in verse 17, but darkness fell, night came and Jesus still hadn't come back yet. I just wanna stop there for a second because some of you in your prayer life right now you're waiting on Jesus. You're, you're asking him for something or someone in your life. You're waiting for his answer. You're waiting for him and it's getting dark. So the way the scripture reads together in the Greek is darkness came and Jesus had not yet come to them. Any of you feel that way? It's getting dark and Jesus isn't here. What are we gonna do? What would you do? What are you doing? as you're waiting for Jesus, and it's getting dark. Well, the disciples do what many of us would do. They got in the boat and they started rowing. We're going without him. They left Jesus. 
They get in the boat, they start rowing. And the scripture says that they rowed about three or four miles. And that's important because the Sea of Galilee at its widest part is seven miles. So they're where? They're in the middle. And some of you are in the middle right now. I mean, they're the most dangerous part of the journey. It's just as far back as it is to their destination. And what happens? It's what happens to many of us and where many of us are right now. A gale comes. What's a gale? A storm. A mighty storm to where the seas are all churned up. And they begin to get nervous that they're not going to make it. And they're rowing and they're rowing. And then the Bible says this. Some of you remember this story. Jesus comes what? You left me. I'm coming to you. This is grace. You left me. You got in the boat and you started rowing yourself. Because you couldn't wait for me. And darkness was coming. And this is grace that I came to you. I came to you. And this is, this is beautiful. And, and, and look, look at what Jesus says. He calls it, they're, t- they're, they're terrified, right? Because they think it's what? They think it's a ghost. They see Jesus walking along. They think it's a ghost. They were terrified of the storm. We're going to drown. We're not, before we drown, the ghost is going to get us. Now they're super terrified, right? They're totally t- out of their minds. And this is, this, is, this is the gospel right here to your heart and to my heart. Jesus calls out to them from a distance, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Oh, this is so good. I'm here. I'm here. And the word in the Greek there, this is so good. Jesus says, I am. Which for, for those Jewish boys, those Galilean fishermen, all of a sudden they were transported back to Exodus. And the story of Moses was Jesus is a better Moses. And how God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush, I am. How God revealed himself to Moses going before Pharaoh, you tell him that I am. And Jesus says, I am. I'm here. I'm with you. And then I want you to pay attention to this. Then they were like, please get in the boat. Uh, Then they're eager to let him in the boat. All right, let's get Jesus in the boat. Because when Jesus gets in the boat with you, everything's better. The storm's still going. We don't, we don't, we, but, but, but he gets in the boat and then pay attention to this word. And immediately, and if you're writing down the scripture, you're struggling, just underline, immediately they arrive at their destination. Just like that. And, he, and there's so much to say, but here's what I want to say about this. God can do in a moment what you could never do in a million years. You could row and row and row your boat And Jesus can do in a moment what you could never do when he shows up. It's his timing. It's his grace. It's his presence. And here's the deal, guys. Bottom line, bottom line, is it's always about something better. In the three ways that God answers prayer, yes, no, and wait. And I don't know where you are right now. And you might say, I've got prayers in all those categories right now. But in all three of them, the ways that God has been known to answer prayers, the prayers of his people, we can always trust him. And it's always about something better. And you say, you keep, Chris, you keep saying that, something better. Where does that come from? 
Let me, let me finish here. I'll tell you what, let's stand to our feet because if I've lost you, I want you to come back to me for this. And I just want to read to you the last two verses of Hebrews chapter 11. Okay, Hebrews chapter 11, the author of Hebrews, we don't know who it was, um, is writing about faithful people, people of prayer, people of trust, people of faith. And there's a long list of, of people. It's, it's kind of known as the hall of faith. And I want to read to you how he closes this chapter about people of faith. He says, all of these people, all, all, of, all of who? All these people of faith. I mean, Abraham and, 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 and Moses and, all, and, and ju- uh, some of the judges are mentioned here. All these incredible people of faith. He says, all of these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. We know them because of their faith. But listen to this. Yet none of them received And if you're following, circle this, all that God promised. None of them received all that God had promised for God had something better. God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. Now in this context, what is the something better for those in the Hebrew Testament that we're looking forward? Jesus, but guys, it's the same for us. They were looking forward to Jesus's first coming. We look forward as the church to Jesus' second coming. When God will make all things new. When he will inaugurate his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. That is the something better. It's a person, it's Jesus. And so in all of our prayers, whether it's God's answering right now, yes, or, or no, or wait, the call for all of us is to trust him that in all of it, there's something better. And the something better isn't the answer to your specific prayer. It's always Jesus. It's always his presence, which is enough. To Christ be the glory today. We're going to respond to God's word. And by the way, our response to God's revelation, which his word is a part of the way he reveals himself, is worship. That's what worship is, is our response to God making himself known. And he wants to, to us. And through prayer, God does that. And so we're going to close today with a song that's just such a special song and so full of truth. And I just want to invite you the next few minutes to, to, to whatever you got going on this afternoon. I know you're getting ready to go to Harris Theater and you're going, we got to beat the Methodist to the buffet and we got all the things. I get it, right? Listen, let that stuff go away for a couple minutes. Just let it go away. And I just want to invite you for the next few minutes to let everything else melt away but Jesus and to fix your eyes on him. The one thing, the one thing, the thing that Mary did to invite herself into the presence of God and God into her life. And I want to invite you to do that through this song the next few minutes.
tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone your presence Sweetest of love, when my heart becomes free.
Well, for some of you today, um, you came here expectant, hoping for God to meet you with his presence, and I pray that he has. And if he has done that, I want to invite you to respond, not to leave this place today. If, if Jesus has met you here, um, would, you, would you follow up with that? We would love to talk with you. We would love to help you in your journey with Jesus today. Um, so if God's prompted you to have a conversation, please have that conversation today. Um, you can find one of us. We'd be glad to, to talk with you about your journey with Jesus. If you'd like to connect further with the church, we believe that uh, our lives are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit in community, um, in the community of faith here. And so we deeply long for you to be connected here, that you might experience God's transformation power in this community. And, um, and so if that's a longing of your heart, if that's what you've been praying for, don't leave today without making that connection. You can do that by talking to us, by folks at the connection table, by filling out a card. Second thing is we talked about prayer today. And if you need somebody to pray with you, because sometimes we can't pray on our own. Sometimes we need to pray with others. Um, and so if that's you today, I want to invite you that we want to pray with you. Um, so you can come forward. Chris will be up here. I'll be up here. Um, and we'd love to meet you and pray with you. If you have a prayer request, you can write that on the Connect card. And we assure you that you will be prayed for uh, this week. Uh, we're just so gl- delighted that you're here today. If you want to respond through giving, you can do that by dropping a gift in the box in the lobby or doing that online as well. Would you please extend your hands um, as I deliver this benediction to you today. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope also. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.